presence. Amen. You may be seated in the house of God as you come and give. Anyone want to come and give, please do so. Otherwise, grab a seat. Open up your Bibles with me to Philippians, quickly, chapter 2, verse 29. I want to do something that, um, man, just is an amazing testimony, and I want them to share this with you. I was in the staff meeting the other day, and I was talking with the staff about our past good things that we've seen this summer, like all the testimonies. And a particular couple stood out to me, and I said, this couple has been amazing. And I began to talk about them, and then lo and behold, they told me in the staff meeting that this couple shared a testimony on Facebook about why they were so outstanding this uh, summer. So would you give it up for Monica and Javier as they come, please? Come on up here. I wish I could honor everybody, but I, I'm going to just honor you guys. Come on up here. Don't be shy. See, you guys are so shy. I got some gift cards and goodies I want to give you, okay? But I want you to tell this testimony. Who put it up on the Facebook? Was it you? Awesome. Would you please tell us what you said in that testimony? Because think about how God works. Think about this. I did not see that testimony. And I'm here sharing with the staff how outstanding you guys have been as a couple. And then they tell me about this. I want to hear it myself. All right. Put on the spot, huh? Always ready. Right, always ready. Um, yeah, so usually during the summer, um, we go on vacations because we work at schools. And we're just so busy. We want to take time to relax. Um, but this past summer, God put it in my heart to just stay home and see what he would do with us during the summer. And in the summer, he, uh, he really blessed us. We were able to fellowship with a lot of people at this church. We were able to go to a lot of outreaches. And we were able to be used to uh, reach other people. So it was just amazing to see what God did in us and through us. Yeah, we definitely grown this summer. Um, I was dealing with anxiety, and um, through that, like, I grew. I saw why I was dealing with it. Like, it was the devil's lies, right? He held back. He was trying to um, make me stay quiet, and um, he really, like, the Lord really blessed us. Like, he worked in our confidence for both of us. So. Oh, that's so awesome. Amen. Can we give it up for this wonderful couple? This is just a way of us saying thank you. But this is what I want you to do. Would you pray for all of us? Not that we have to give up summers. You know, maybe some of you are used to taking vacations. You're still going to do that. That's fine, okay? But would you pray for all of us to be sensitive as you were to do what God says? Because I think that's the key. The key is always being ready to do what God says. So when God says it, we're up and ready to go. Would you pray that over all of us? And maybe if both of you want a tag team, that would be awesome. You pray a little bit. She prays. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today, God. Thank you that we're able to be here in your presence, Lord, that we're able to worship you, that we're able to praise you every day, God. Lord, I just thank you for everything that you've done this summer and everything that you continue to do, Lord, moving forward, not just with us, but with MPI, with everybody here, Lord. Lord, I pray that we continue to be sensitive to, the, to your spirit, Lord, that we're able to move with you, God, as you want to move with us. So, Lord, I just pray that you continue to use everyone here. <clears throat> Excuse me. As we're able to reach other people, reach the community, Lord, all for your kingdom, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 
Yes, Lord, thank you for everyone who is here, Lord. Thank you because we get to be here, Lord, because we get to pro proclaim the good news of, of what you have done on the cross, Lord. Thank you for everyone who is here who has said yes and amen, Lord. I pray that you continue to work in each other's, um, each one's heart, Lord, to do the calling that you have put us to do in the name of Jesus to advance your kingdom. Amen. Amen. And this is the scripture that I wanted to read. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like them. Can we give it up one more time for the George family? God bless you guys. Thank you. Amen. You may be seated. You guys are awesome. Let's go to John chapter 8, verse 31. What an amazing testimony. And I'm thankful for each one of you, even if I don't get a chance to do it uh, personally. Let me do it from the pulpit right now. Thank you for your sacrifice, your hard work. This has been the most fruitful evangelistic summer we have ever had. And I know that you're seeing it. You guys are out there. You're seeing it. So thank you. Please keep on doing that, which is good, because God is taking note. We will all be rewarded in heaven. Amen? Even for the things, like I look at you, Brother Jason, even for the things that people don't know about. But I can relate to, you know, like how having children, you bringing them out there with you, man, that's huge every single week. The Lord sees that. You are going to be rewarded, man, from, uh, on, Jesus, from Jesus on Judgment Day for that. He, he, you're going to have a special bling on your, your crown, and they're going to ask, like, where did you get that bling from, bringing my kids to outreaches? You ever try it? Even in China, they're going to be like, no, we don't do that. <laughs> Even in other nations, I'm telling you, man, it's a testimony because sometimes it's just easy. I just put the kids over here, and then we go over here. I'm, I'm one of them, you know? But if the Lord says, bring them, you got to bring them. And I know that you shared some wonderful testimonies about what's, what's happening when you're bringing them. And that's what we got to do is be sensitive to the Lord. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And let's get into today's lesson, John chapter 8, verse 31 and onward. Everybody say this with me, slaves to sin. Or satisfied sons. Come on. Or sanctified, as you could say. But satisfaction in the Lord will make you holy. You see, sons stay in the house because they're satisfied with what God has given them. Last week I talked about slaves to sin or sanctified sons. And today I want to add a little bit to what it means to be sanctified. It means to be satisfied in Jesus. Think about that. Those today who are not satisfied with keeping the commands of the Lord, say in their sexual purity, are going out and being impure. Because God's not enough. God's not enough to keep them holy while they're single. They've got to go out there, mingle, and break God's law. But if you are satisfied in God, you will keep God's law. Somebody say, if I'm satisfied, I'll stay sanctified. Amen. You see, we have to be so full of Jesus that we don't have room for the world. As I've given that example before, imagine during the holiday season, you go to your mom's house or to a barbecue and someone, maybe your relatives or friends is cooking up your favorite food. If you have eaten all of that wonderful food, all that out of cheddar, all those ribs, all that macaroni and cheese, okay? If you've eaten all of that, all that yaya, yaya brought some food over yesterday. That's the Greek grandma, okay? If you've eaten all the pizza, in the in the scoid though yeah if you eating all that do you got a taste for McDonald's do you have a taste for Taco Bell no, because you're so full. You're satisfied. And if you are so full on God, if you and I are so full of the Spirit, we won't compromise in sin. We won't have any room for the devil. Because God satisfies. God fills our hearts with good things. So everybody say it with me. Slaves to sin or satisfied sons? Or sanctified sons. Thank you. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 8, verse 31. 
To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. Who knows the King James? Make you free. Come on, put in the King James for them for them, brother. How many know a cake don't bake itself? It don't make itself and it don't bake itself. You ever seen the flour get together with the sugar and the egg? Stir itself up, walk over to the oven and put itself in there? That's why I like the word make in there. Because God's got to shake and bake and make you. I said, is this a Presbyterian church? Come on, Pentecostal, say amen. God got to shake the sin out of you. He got to bake and refine you, and he got to make you who he wants you to be. I'm going to say it again. God got to shake, bake, and make you free. Amen. I'm excited about that. In Bible college, by God's grace, I'm teaching on sanctification. It's one of the most misunderstood and neglected subjects out there. But I thank God that I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. God will make you free. I, I understand the NIV sets you free. You kind of get the understanding that, that he opens up the jail cell, that you are set free. You can go on about your way. But it doesn't encompass all that happens. You see, you could be in a jail cell and the jail cell be opened and you be set free, but you still are a criminal. You still are tore up from the floor up. Can I get an amen? How many know sometimes they get out but nothing has changed? Okay? So you can have somebody let you out of your prison, but you still be exactly the same. But if you are made free, then not only are you able to leave that prison, but the prison mentality over you has been changed. You've been made a new person, arranged in the image of God. Amen. You've been made something different. And, and, and now that I just mentioned the prison system, that's why we got to pray for them. And many of you pastors and leaders here, let's see if we can get a chaplaincy there. Amen. Let's not even run by that example. Let's keep going to these different places. I know we're going to the homeless shelters, but we also need to go to the jails as well. Amen. So let someone pick up that in the name of Jesus. And I know that we're praying for school clubs this year. I pray that we'll see those come about in Jesus' name. Amen. So looking at the scripture, going back to the notes, please. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. This is the, the conversation that he's having with what kind of people? Somebody say believers. See, these are believers. He's having a conversation with them, and he says, you need to know truth, and you need to hold on to it. And when you do, he says, I'm going to make you a certain kind of way. I'm going to make you free. I didn't make myself free from drugs. Jesus made me free. I didn't make myself stop looking at porn. Jesus made me free from pornography. Has anybody here been made in the image of God, set free from their sins? Come on. Hallelujah. The power of the transformation in the gospel is second to none. I look at all of these religions. I study them. Sometimes I wish I didn't. And you look at what they do for transformation. And it is just a bunch of do, do, do this, do that, do this, do, 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 do. And it's a bunch of do, do. Y'all know that. You see them trying to go to their priest. You see them trying to go to their, uh, you know, their prayer mat. You see them try to go over here and do their yoga. You see them over here being a vegan. I met, I was, I didn't meet him, but I saw it online. It was like, I couldn't even believe it. He was an atheist vegan fighting for animal rights. 
I'm like, man, not only as an atheist do animals not have rights, you don't have rights. He was wanting to debate the subject, is it right for humans to to eat animals? I'm like, you as an atheist can't even defend why it's wrong for me to eat you. How would you even defend that as an atheist, right? Lions, don't eat that gazelle. Eat this vegetable over here, you know? It's like, man, if we were made to like, according to them from the goo to the zoo, if we were made to like meat, that's just the way it is. And, and, and if you ever watch any of these Discovery Channel shows, when you are a carnivore, you a carnivore. <laughs> and they don't show no mercy. Sometimes they leave those zebras alive for a little bit so it can be fresh when they come back. I don't mean to gross you out in church, man, but they'll eat half the leg, and then they'll come back, zebra just chilling there. They'll come back and eat the rest. Come on, has anybody ever watched National Geographic? I'm not lying. And, and, and they, say, they say these kinds of things, but they don't have the right worldview. Listen, the world doesn't even have a standard for morality. We as Christians have a standard for morality, and it is the highest standard. As I'm preaching in the second service, the identity of a Christian perfect in Christ, the, the standard of Christianity is not just do better. The standard of Christianity is not just be a little bit moral than your neighbor, just be a little bit nicer than the person down the road. No, the standard of, of, of Christianity is perfection. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be perfect, for I am perfect. Now, listen, if you can't do that yourself, you need to be made that. And we know we can't do it ourselves. That's why all of those religions, they always look the same. It's a bunch of people on the, uh, the treadmill of good works, and they never get in shape. It's like some of us, we go to the gym, but we eat the donut, and we wonder why it's not working. Come on, can, can I get an amen for somebody who will keep it real? You're doing all that work at the gym, but you're not watching what's going in here. And so it doesn't matter. You could become a gym rat going there seven days a week, but if you still stopping at McDonald's getting a, a, you know, a Big Mac, you still going over here and you eating over here and getting your donuts every morning and your bagel and all that, that's not going to matter. You're you working, but there's no results. And that's exactly what the world's religions look like. Yeah, you're working. You're doing stuff, but there's no spiritual transformation. You're just as ornery as you were before you uh, joined that religion. You're just as angry and hate-filled as you were before you joined that religion. You're just as, as, as down and out as you were before you joined that, that, that belief system, that yoga class, whatever. Now listen to what Christianity is in its heart, at its core. It is something you are made You are made this. This is not something you make yourself. You are made this. So Jesus says what should be the greatest statement to these religious people. If you hold to my teachings, if you understand really what I'm saying, you will be my disciple. And then you'll know the truth and the truth will set or the truth will make you free. You'll be made perfect like my heavenly father's perfect. You'll be made holy. Now, is that where they, they just stop and go, amen, I want to be made free? No, this is where they start arguing with him. And when they start arguing with him, Jesus is now going to show us a side of himself that most of us are uncomfortable with. I've spent a lot of time addressing it last week, but I didn't get to read it. So by God's grace, I want you now to put yourself in the place of the listener of this conversation and see how awkward this would now be. 
These are people who have joined with Jesus. They are believing. They have already made a decision to go against what some of their rabbis and leaders are saying. So they're crossing over to now saying, okay, I'm going to be a follower. I I will be a disciple. I'm crossing over, uh, you know, from where I've been to where you now are. They've made a decision. Somebody say a decision. Amen. A decision has been made. But now notice how they are provoked just by that. That first statement that if you really now want to do this right and you want to go from a believer to a disciple, if you want to go from just somebody who checks off on the census, I'm a Christian, to really being a follower of Christ and living like it, now you need to get free. Instead of them humbling themselves and going, okay, well, man, I want to be free. What are the things I need to be free from? Jesus set me free and making their confessions for all the things that the, that the Lord says they can be free from. Just like when I got saved and Jesus said I could be free, I had to make that confession. Okay, well, Lord set me free from perversion. I had received it in Christ, but I now needed to make that profession of faith. Can I hear an amen? How many know you received it, but you still had to believe it and make that profession? You didn't become more of a Christian the second day, the third day, the fourth day after you became a Christian, but you began to live like who you were. You started putting your faith into action. Amen? And so that faith they needed to apply right now, that faith that they had that Jesus was the Messiah, they now needed to believe that Jesus was their deliverer. But notice what they do here. They get petty with him. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been the slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? How many know they're lying right there? Number one, they're slaves to sin. And number two, they've been slaves their entire existence almost. The Israelites have been slaved, enslaved by all kinds of nations. Even now you could consider them enslaved to the Romans. Go to Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and onward, please. I I really want to get through this context today, but I want to make sure that I cover it thoroughly. Listen to what happened here in Exodus, just as a reminder. Therefore, say this to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you from under the what? Under the yoke, which which means slavery, under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, going back to our notes, please. Why didn't the Jews just say, yeah, you're right, we've been slaves? But what kind of slavery are you talking about, Jesus? Why didn't they take a moment to go a little deeper? Because they want to be offended. Everybody look up at me. Some people just want to be offended. They purposely want to take what you're saying out of its context, throw it back and make it look nasty and stupid, and then now get offended and say, look at what you did. Could you imagine Jesus looking back at them at this point like, what? What are you talking about? You haven't been a slave to anyone. Of course you guys have been slaves. you got entire books talking about your slavery. Lamentations is all about how you just got taken as a slave. The entire concept of the Old Testament is built upon you do what's right, you're free. You do what's wrong, you get pimp slapped and get taken under the yoke of some nation. That's the entire, that's the whole book of Judges, is it not? But they're petty. Also, people who are petty notice that they are nitpickers. They try to just nitpick. They're trying now maybe to make a, a little bit of a distinction. Well, our ancestors have been slaves, but, but us, me personally, now here, Jesus, I've never been a slave. Once again, I think that's even debatable. They were not able to have their full freedom in Rome. 
So right there at that point, that's debatable. But then number two, notice how they start off with, we are Abraham's descendants. They're contradicting themselves. If they want to say individually, I have not been a slave, then why are you identifying with your ancestry? Does everybody see that? See, they identify with their ancestry. So they can't wiggle out and say, well, I've never been a personal, I've personally never been a slave. No, you just identified with your ancestry. As a matter of fact, if you don't know this, Abraham was actually told his people were going to go into slavery for 400 years. So they don't even have their stories right. They're contradicting themselves. They're nitpicky. And they're personally getting offended. All because of what? Understand this. All because of what? They don't want to get out of their sin. They don't want to get out of their sin. They don't want to identify the very thing that Jesus came to get them free from. So now instead of humbling themselves, they want to cause a confusion. And this is where it leads them. So they started some stuff, and guess what? There's going to be some stuff. Amen. Here it is now. Jesus replied to them, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So right now Jesus clarifies, this is what I mean. This is what I'm talking about. Even though he is playing on the example of actual slavery, which is true, they have been actual slaves, but he's taking it one step deeper. He's saying this kind of slavery I'm referring to is the one who sins. And how many know they have sinned before? And then they're a slave to sin. And how many know they should have known that because that comes from the Old Testament? Jesus never taught them anything that wasn't already previously discussed in the Old Testament. Jesus is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. It was known in the Old Testament that they could keep these laws. Matter of fact, just go there quickly, Deuteronomy chapter 28. These laws were set before them way at the beginning as blessings and curses. Blessings and curses. And so they were to know that if they gave in to this, these things would overcome them. Just look at the headings because I don't have time to read it all. Look at verse 1. Blessings for obedience. Now notice this. The blessings for obedience go from verse 1 all the way to verse 14. So that's 14 verses where he tells them, this is how you'll live if you are obedient. Now look at verse 15. Verse 15 are the curses. Scroll up a little bit so they can see the heading, please. Look at verse 15. is curses for disobedience. And notice how long it goes. It's not 15 verses. Keep going. Keep going. Showing them right here. Show them how long the curses go. All these, that's verse 45. That's already almost double, you know, triple now. We're getting to triple. Keep on going down. Keep on going down. All the way to the end. All the way to what? 68. The Lord will send you back to ships to Egypt on a journey I said you would never make. In other words, you would become slaves literally again if you disobey and you don't follow my commands. This was a concept that they were supposed to understand. Now, chapter 29, verse 1. What does it say right here? He says, these are the terms of the covenant. Everybody say the covenant. Amen. Now, going back to the notes, they were supposed to know this, that not only does spiritual sin lead to spiritual slavery, but for the Israelites, if they spiritually sinned, they would go into actual slavery. Imagine that. Imagine if America got to the point in our sin, God says, you're going to be China's slaves. Don't think it can't happen. If God did it with his Jewish people, God could do it with us. So we ought to take God serious from the past. Now going back to the notes, they should have known this concept, but he's going to remind them. Now a slave, verse 35, has no permanent place in the family. They all knew that, that if you were a slave like Joseph in Potiphar's house, you don't belong to Potiphar's family. 
You don't get what Potiphar's family gets. You don't get an inheritance like Potiphar's son does. You might be working harder than Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's son. You might be working harder than Potiphar himself. But you don't get what Potiphar gets. You don't get what Potiphar's sons get. By the way, that's the slave owner of Joseph in the Bible, okay? You don't get what the slave owner gets if you're a slave. You don't even get what his son gets. That's what he's teaching them. But what does he say right here? He says a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it for how long? Forever. Now, we're going to realize as the story goes on that it's, it's a term son is applied to me, male and female, okay? It's just a term that's going to re- refer to being a child of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So we're not trying to do transgender stuff here, uh, women being called sons and then change your gender and all that. But when the Bible talks about sonship, it means being adopted into the family of God, being treated as a son. So all the sisters said... Amen. Amen. And sometimes the NIV and others understand that, and they'll even put sons and daughters there when oftentimes it's just the word sons, okay? Now, I want you to see this. It is clear that they understand this. There is no confusion. There is no reason to be confused now. He's explaining it to them. Guys, I'm talking spiritually. Obviously, Jesus is like, I could go into your past and explain this to you that you're nitpicking, but let me just make this very clear. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Uh, forever. Now, look at verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, you notice how he just flipped that. He said that a slave has no permanent place, but a son does. And then the NIV now capitalizes son and says, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What does that mean? That the son has more privileges than the slave, and the son can set a slave free. And when the son gets capitalized there, what he's saying is you may be a slave right now, but I can set you free, the son of God. Hallelujah. How many want to be set free? And that's, praise God, that's, that's where we should be. But you're going to see they don't want to get it, but he's just going to keep drawing it out. And I thank God that it's here for us. Amen. If they don't want it, I'll take it. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. This is where we know that he, he understands the history. He, he could have gone all in that direction, but he's not going to get distracted. He's going to stay right on point. Yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Now, right here, this is where I think most people would say, Jesus, you are way too harsh. Jesus, it's just a misunderstanding. It's just a misunderstanding. Sometimes I'm with my children, and they play dumb with me, and then they realize that I'm pretty smart, and they lose their treat real quick. And then the other one will say, oh, well, she didn't, she, she didn't understand what you meant. Oh, yes, she did. All of that double talk, all of that she didn't understand, that's all of her excuses coming from her pride. How many parents have children that they try to do that with you? And, and then if you have more than one, they try to defend them. They try to say, oh, no, he didn't understand you. She didn't understand. No, you understood perfectly. Get free, man of God. Yes, they understood. And the other one tried to say, well, no, if you would have said it like this, well, she meant it like this. I remember, I remember arguing with Hannah, she's right here, on whether or not she loved camp. It was a discussion of whether or not she loved it or just liked it. And we went back and forth, back and forth. I'm telling you, it made me so upset I had to pray for God's grace because we were now having to define what does love something mean and what does like something mean. But they'll get petty with you when they want to try to prove a point. And I love my daughter, Hannah. She's good. She's here today. 
Now listen, if you want to humble yourself before God and his word, just seek the context and it will clarify whatever he means. If these people were unclear about what Jesus was saying, he just clarified it right here. And then now he brings it to them that you're really trying to kill me. I understand that you guys have been up to no good. And so now you've switched over to the believing side. You now want to be welcomed into the discipleship you know, gathering here. But I know what you're up to. I know what you've done. You see, at this point, if they were true believers, they would have taken that rebuke saying, Lord, forgive me and remove from me the spirit of murder. In other words, don't you think it would have been right for some of them to repent to Jesus for what they were wanting to do just a few days ago? Right? Like, so Jesus is saying, okay, you believe in me now, but now you need to hold to my teachings and be set free. And one of the first things these Jewish people need to be set free from was wanting to murder him a couple days ago. But as you're going to see, they won't own up to that. He says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Verse 39, Abraham is our father, they, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. Amen. How many notes getting real right here? You see, because they're not humbling themselves. And this is where, and I've had discussions with you guys on this, oftentimes people say, man, pastor, shouldn't you handle some of these things in private? And I agree that we should handle as much as we can in private. But I also believe there's nothing wrong with a good public rebuke every now and then. Jesus is not secretly doing this. Jesus is not saying, hey, guys, man, this is going to get a little messy and a little complicated, so let's just move this discussion over here because these Romans are going to think we're crazy. They're going to see two Jewish people arguing, and, and they're going to want to kill us even more. And that's a lot of times what people say, man, they're going to see two Christians arguing. Man, the world's going to think we're crazy. Man, let's just move this from off this platform or move this from over here. And I understand the wisdom in that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I also love the idea of Jesus being bold, saying, no, we're going to do it right now. We're going to handle the problem right now. If this is where I got to handle I would prefer to spiritually spank you in the church office. But if I got to spiritually spank you on Facebook, I'll do it right now. I would, I would prefer this to have been done on a phone call in a private setting. But if you want to do it right now, I got you. We'll put it on live. Come on, somebody. I mean, it's going to be written down for everybody anyway. We're all going to see it in heaven if we're Christians. Aren't we all going to see it in heaven? So, okay, Jesus is like, well, you don't want to humble yourself, so let me make it real clear. Let me make it so clear now that you can't deny who you really are. Let me expose you for who you are. Let me show the world what you're really about. And so when they get mad now and go, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Now notice what he says right here. If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Now, I want to say this very carefully. 
But it's also a part of our example. So let's not blaspheme and all pretend like we're Jesus sent from heaven and we never make mistakes. Sometimes as Christians, as preachers, we, we've got to own up to sometimes, you know, if we say something wrong. I remember one of our brothers was blasting a church from around his neighborhood that looked abandoned and said, look at all these churches leaving the community. Man, we need to take them over and get them for Jesus. And the pastor saw the live feed. It was like, hey, dude, I just moved to another facility down the road. <laughs> you know, I'm taking care of my building over here. We're going to do something else with it. And guess what? When the pastor wrote us, we had that brother take down that feed and tell him he was sorry. Is that not true, man of God? Yeah, I'm not, it wasn't him, but it was one of his friends. But, but did, we not, did we not do that? Because we're not above correction. Okay, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not always going to act like Jesus. I get that, but I should always act like Jesus. But if I don't, hold me accountable. I'm not going to make that as an excuse. So we, we said, man, we're not here to cause trouble. Sorry, man of God. That's wonderful. you got another facility. He should have checked on that first, you know. But he's trying to be so radical, look at an abandoned building to make a point. Let me tell you maybe where he got that from. He might have got that from me making a point, but this was no mistake. There was a Korean Presbyterian church in my community and I saw it for sale. And I went and called up the man of God of that house and I talked to the pastor and I said, sir, please, whatever you do, take this off the market. Whatever you do, you got to take it off the market. I said, once you put up that sign, anybody can buy it now. I said, I've seen churches become mosques and Buddhist temples and so forth. I said, brother, trust God, take it off the market and talk to other Christians about it. And I said, what you should do is just give it to somebody that can pastor a church there and do something good. I'll volunteer if you need some help. I'm just being honest. I told him that. Did he listen to me? Of course not. Guess what's in it now? A Hindu temple. Right down my street. I have to see that Hindu temple every week. And one day I made a video in front of it. So my brother might have thought that's what he was going to do. But hold on, man. We don't know what that. That might be their second campus. They might put a gym there. Come on. That's why we don't judge by mere appearances. Amen. But it is a true judgment that when these pastors abandon these buildings for the wrong causes, that they can be built and taken by other religions. Now, I don't believe we should uh, discriminate. I'm just saying, man, if that was dedicated to the Lord, keep it in the Lord's house. Uh, keep it in the Lord's hands. Could you imagine? what those people would be thinking about who gave to that building fund, say, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, to now see that place right there. Don't tell grandma in the nursing home what happened to her church. Don't tell her what happened to the cafeteria now. Come on. But looking back at the scripture right here, you've got to be honest, and, and, and sometimes you've got to deal with problems. And Jesus is going to deal with it. Now, having said all of that, I think we should be able to use that same language. Listen, if you're, if you're not hearing me, when I'm preaching on the street, it's because you're not hearing God. Well, you think you're Jesus? Well, I think I'm like him. You see, we got to use that same language that Jesus used. Like I, I said, all of that to make sure that we don't blaspheme Jesus and act like we always Jesus, because sometimes we're not. We may mess up. But listen, we do need to speak to people. I have come from God. I am preaching to you now. The reason why you don't understand me is because you don't hear from God. You belong to your father. You belong to the devil. That's why you don't understand me. And sometimes you got to say that to supposed church people. Why are you guys out here? Why is it? The reason why you don't understand me is because you don't belong to God. The reason why you don't receive what I'm giving you right now is because you're acting just like your father, the devil. Now, if somebody were to say to me, well, Joe, you can't use this as an example. Well, then tell me, when do I ever take Jesus as my example? 
Did he not say that I'm supposed to be like him? Did he not say that I'm supposed to follow him? He did not say that I'm supposed to be his disciple, so of course I'm supposed to use this language. And so, brothers and sisters, if you find yourself in confrontation with supposed believers who do not want to get set free from their sin, know this, oftentimes the reason why they don't get it, the reason why it doesn't comprehend to them, the reason why you have to fight over all these silly details and they're being offended on purpose is because God is not their father. That's it. I was talking to one person the other day, and he was like, well, that means a lot of them aren't saved then. I'm like, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm not even sure a lot of pastors are saved anymore. Honestly, I mean, if, if, if you want to now, like, have me give you a statistic, I'll just take you to George Barna and, and show you that even now they say less than 50% of pastors even have a biblical worldview. The worldview that Billy Graham had, okay? I mean, the most common sense stuff. Only uh, like less than 50%. And then they say now in the congregation, it's less than 10%. Think about that. These statisticians, George Barna, you can look up his stats. They make it their living to call up little groups of Christians all across the country in this kind of a church or this kind of a church, a big church, a small church, a non-denominational church, a Baptist church, and they do their statistic. It's not me. They say less than half of all the pastors actually believe what Billy Graham preached, the basics, less than half. And now they're saying that less than 10% of the folks in the pew believe what the Bible says. That's not my stacks. That's facts. That came from somebody who spent their time doing that. So is it any wonder that there's confusion when we talk to other Christians? Is it any wonder that oftentimes they'll even gang up on us? I remember different times, when, and nothing against Moody, because I, I love Moody and what he stood for, and I love the Bible college. There's a lot of great people there. But I've been out there before where Moody students, while we're preaching, Moody students have argued and contradicted us, and sinners have come to shut them down. I actually was out there one time when that happened. They were saying we were being ineffective, interrupting the guy that was on the microphone because they said, I, I don't hear you talking about God's love and the gospel. All I hear is you just arguing with him. And, and the guy looked at him and said, man, I'm happy I get to talk to a Christian. None of y'all want to talk to me. You see, we were answering his questions, not just saying, Jesus loves you, free hugs. So then I said, man, can I take a few minutes to talk to them, which I wouldn't do now, but I ended up having to do that. I interrupted, think about this. This is called gospel blocking. I interrupted the, the I let them interrupt the time I had with the lost person to now argue with them. What I should have just said to them, you just like your father, the devil, go on and get in Jesus' name. Oh, but they're Christians. They go to Moody. They're this and that. Why aren't they acting like it then? Why wouldn't a Christian from Moody walk up to me, shake my hand, and bring me a cold glass of water and say, keep preaching? Isn't that what the Bible says you're supposed to do? If you see a preacher, give them a, a, a greeting of peace and to extend to them water or something to drink. That's what we do as Christians. That's what we're commanded to do. Why would you argue with me on the middle of the street saying I'm not giving a good enough presentation up to your standards? As D.L. Moody himself said, D.L. Moody said this, I like better what I do wrong than what you don't do right. Come on, D.L. Moody said that. He said, I like better what I do wrong with the mistakes that you think I'm making. At least I'm doing something than what you supposedly do perfect. That doesn't do anything. You're just sitting around. You're with your perfect ideas. If God were your father, you would love me, Jesus said. That takes some boldness. I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. In evangelist, we should be saying that same, that same thing. Why is my language not clear to you? 
because you are unable to hear what I'm saying. That's why your heart's not right. Verse 44, and this can help in marriages too, amen? A lot of times the confusion happens because people aren't right. And before you start calling your wife or your husband a son of the devil or a child of the devil, just be a little bit gracious in there and just make sure they're hearing from God and not the devil. Because even as Christians, we can still be tempted to hear from the devil. Am I not telling the truth? You can be te- if Jesus could hear from the devil in his temptation, can't you be hearing from the devil? So you got to make sure you're listening to God. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth. There is no truth in him. Where do I think Jesus is referring to? A murderer from the beginning. Cain and Abel. Go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. Remember when Cain wanted to kill Abel out of jealousy? What did Jesus say to him? Because I believe that's Jesus pre-incarnate. What did Jesus say to Cain? He said, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now watch this. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, you have two ways to look at this. Sin, S-I-N, like Sesame Street, a word named sin is crouching at his door. You ever seen the talking letters of Sesame Street? You know, these, and, and now I got to catch up with these news shows. You know, Coco Melon, do they have talking letters there? Okay, nobody, nobody did it like, like, like Sesame Street. All right. Sesame Street had talking letters, and they made their sounds, S, 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 I'm an S, you know. Okay, so you can either look at it like sin is a word that's crouching at his door, here I am, the word sin, or you can take that as the devil coming. That's how I see it. The same tempter who took the form of a serpent is now tempting him with sin. There is a tempter that is coming to Cain that wants to have desire over him. Otherwise, why is Jesus saying he's a murderer from the beginning? Who has the devil murdered? I can't find any scripture that says he's murdered anybody. But I go to scriptures and I see people murdering all the time based on what? His influence. That's how I make sense of what Jesus is saying there. He's been a murderer from the beginning, and he's going to be held accountable for what he has done in temptation. But those who have been deceived will also be held accountable. So they will not be able to say, the devil made me do it. Remember, Eve and, uh, Adam and Eve, they tried that. This one made me do it. You know, Eve says, the man, uh, the man says, the woman made me do it. And the woman says, the devil made me do it. Does God say, well, okay, it's all right then? No, he punishes all of them. He punishes the man, the woman, and the serpent. The serpent's like, I was just possessed by the demon. He's like, I don't care. You're going to be an example now of somebody that crawls on the belly. Could you imagine that if snakes could talk? They're like, man, God, come on now. And then sometimes people ask, how was a snake walking before? You ever seen a lizard walk? You ever seen a cobra get up? You ever seen a cobra get up like that? They, they, they could have been walking like how cobras get up. However it happened, he now said to that snake, here's how you're going to get around on your belly just because you were demon-possessed by that. You were possessed by Satan. Man, you're going to have all these chores and these weeds. And woman, you're, you're going to submit now to this man. Because you're, you're going to desire him, and he's going to desire to, to dominate you. you. You're going to have an honest heart for him, but he's going to turn against you. And, and thank God the curse has been broken in Jesus, but that's what came down. Amen? Everybody got cursed that day. Even the ground got cursed. You could even see the apple tree going, man, why am I cursed now? One of my branches falling off. God, you made me so perfect. All of a sudden, the air of clouds could talk. You know, it's almost like uh, if you have ever seen, you know, Elf, you know, as he's leaving, you know, the North Pole. Bye, buddy. You know, that little whale. You know, the little whale comes up. Man, what's going on? Now my tooth hurts. You know what I'm saying? All these animals talk. But if you go to the book of Romans, does it not say all of creation is groaning? 
And what are they waiting for? The revelation and the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. They're waiting for us to get back our proper place. They're waiting for humanity to stop being slaves so that we can be free. And wow, what a day that will be when the lion lays with the lamb and appetites will change and there will be no more carnivores, the Bible says. And then that is where we go happily back to to being vegetarians and so forth after the thousand-year reign of eating whatever we want from the earth. But notice this. The devil's been a murderer from the beginning. He's been a liar. And we could take you back to his lies in the Garden of Eden, but for the sake of time, let's keep reading. It says when he lies, or, or rather he's a murderer from the beginning, verse 44, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I am telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. How many believe that's not only a good answer for Jesus to his haters, but all your haters in Jesus' name? Use that back. And the reason why you don't understand me is you must not belong to God. How many times must I explain to you what we're doing here? Now, I want you to notice this. Jesus gives them a chance as a sitting target to hit him with their best shot of sin. And they can't think of anything. But hold on. Hasn't he already been in the temple and whooped some people? You all don't remember that? Go back to John. How many have been here for the John series? All right. Let's go back to John. Go back early in the book of John, John chapter 2, verse 13. Why aren't they mad about this? Why don't they call this a sin? When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple courts. He found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables to those who sold doves. He said, get these out of here. Stop turning my house into a marketplace. His disciples remember that his written zeal for your house will consume me. How come the Jews didn't bring this up as sin? Can I tell you why? Because they didn't consider it sin. They weren't sensitive sallies, if I have to use that name. They weren't snowflakes, going back to the notes. They understood that if a prophet was really a prophet, he could handle his business. You see, some of us, if we were around at that time, we would have thrown that back at Jesus. Oh, I know a sin, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know it. It was that time that you went into the temple and you made a mess. You were not very nice. And then you took off your belt and you were whipping them, those poor people. And then you, you yelled at them. You raised your voice. Oh, yeah, I know a sin. Why didn't the Jews do that? Go to Nehemiah chapter 13. Why didn't the Jews say, hey, hey, I know a sin. Even when they were bringing up his death penalty in front of Caesar, they never said, in front of a Pilate, they never said, man, this man whooped us. This man beat us. He pushed us. He yelled at us. Why didn't they do that? Because they knew prophets had the right to do that. Oh, you're going to get quiet now, huh? I'm not saying we do it in the New Testament, but they understood prophets had the right to lay their hands on some people. I'm about ready to show you a secret scripture. Somebody say it's a secret. Because I guarantee you ain't never heard it from Joe Lostein. Go all the way down as I'm trying to find Nehemiah. Go all the way down. Keep on going. Go all the way down. You're going to see something that's going to make you wonder if you still believe your Bible. Keep on going down. Keep on going. We're going all the way down. This is the last chapter of Nehemiah. This is the last chapter. Here we go. Now there we go. Right up here. Right up here. Look at this. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 23. How many know Nehemiah was a prophet? You believe he was a man of God? 
You, are you going to be ashamed of Nehemiah here in a few minutes? Some of you are like, well, let me see what Nehemiah did. I might be. I mean, did he sin? Okay, well, let's look at it. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. So he's got problems with these people intermarrying with the people God said not to marry. This was not a racial issue. This was a cultural issue. Just like we have the same law. Don't ever, please, don't ever let people make you look bad on the Old Testament. Oh, wait, back then you couldn't do this, but now you can do this. See how bad God is? Never do that. It's the same Jesus. Same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. That doesn't just count for the time when you were a baby, now you're older, and then when you get really old. No, that covers all of humanity. You understand? So you got to put them back in their place when they try to bring this up against our Jesus. It was not a racial issue. It was a cultural issue. And Christians still aren't to marry non-Christians. That's the way we are as a people. Amen? What does light have in common with darkness? That's the Bible. We still believe that. So the problem was that these people had married these foreign women and they had not converted to Judaism, which I could show you in the days of Esther and others that they converted to Judaism in great numbers while they lived among the pagans. And so that was allowed as long as they converted to Judaism, you could marry them. But if they remained in their paganism as they did with Solomon, that was forbidden because it would turn your heart against God. So Nehemiah sees them. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now watch verse 25. I rebuked them and I called down curses on them and I took some of them out for lunch. What does it say? Highlight it, please, man of God. I beat some of the men, pulled out their hair, and I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughter in marriage to your sons or give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Now, Josh, can I demonstrate that on you? (laughs) Swear. (laughs) Well, that's what a prophet did. Oh, that offends me. No, it shouldn't. The Bible talks about beating a fool. Do you know that corporal punishment was allowed for adults in the Bible? Even in American colonies, it was allowed. Now, we can get into a discussion on caning and whipping and all of these different things. But I want you to understand something. When Jesus said to those people, if I have sin, you point it out. Why didn't they say back to him, you whipped us, pushed us, and screamed and hollered at us just a few months ago? Because they knew that was not a sin. Now, we could have a discussion on how that relates to the New Testament, and maybe we ought to because I just want to leave that hang because some of you all now may want to try that tonight preaching. Come over here and swear you won't do it. No, no, no. Let me put it into context a little bit here for you, at least so I don't let, let it hang. The prophets had civil rights of authority to bring judgment in the time of Israel. Prophets had the ability to lay hands on you. Prophets had the ability to call down your judgment for you to be stoned. They stoned people in the Bible. How many know the Jews are going to take that right upon themselves and stone Stephen? And if they were right under their own law, that could be justified. So prophets had that ability. How many know when, when, uh, when Elijah dealt with those people on the mountain after the fire came down, what did he say? Kill the prophets of Baal. 
See, a prophet had civil authority at that time. So let us not, when we uh, attack Islam from that point of view, that it's a violent religion, let us make sure that we are not hypocritical in understanding what we also believe. We also believe that prophets can enact war. We also believe in death penalties and these kinds of things. Now, how does the New Testament, how does the New Testament enact the role of a prophet? Does it include a death penalty? Most would say no. And then I would take you to Ananias and Sapphira. It still includes a death penalty. You just have to be careful when you do it. Because if you say it and it doesn't happen, you are a madman. But imagine in the church someone standing up saying, you're going to die right now because you lied to God. Now, we never see anywhere the prophet uses civil authority to enact the laws of God. This is where we disagree with the Puritans. And believe it or not, they call them Christian nationalists. Some are, are okay and others are not okay. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. Nothing to do with racism. You can be a Christian nationalist and be of any persuasion. As a matter of fact, many Orthodox, whether they're Ethiopian from the, uh, the Greek culture, Syrian Orthodox, many of them also believe in Christian nationalism. So this is not a white or black thing. Some nations of Africa will implement or are trying, and that's where we can talk to our sister, the death penalty for homosexuality, okay? And they're Christian nations. So to, to kind of give us a summary of this, where we, and I say myself, the kind of evangelical I am, I do not believe in Christian nationalism. So I do not believe that we should ever create a Christian nation that makes the Bible the Constitution. Because then what that will mean is that somebody's definition of church, which we all don't agree on what that definition is as Christians, is it the Baptist one, is it the Methodist one, right? Somebody's definition is going to call us heretics, and it's going to start the whole thing over again about why we left and wanted freedom for religion. But if you study our history, come on people, if you study our history, we've burned witches. When I say we, I mean Christians. They burned them. But you know what? Who they also burned at the Salem witch trials? Pastors that disagreed with them. You can look it up. They also burned guys like me who said, hey man, I don't think we should burn the witches and go Old Testament like that. And they go, no, you don't, you don't agree with that? And, and, they, and the guys were like, no. And like, well, burn him too. Look it up. Protesters, even among the Protestants. In other words, Protestants protesting the power of Rome started then burning and pu putting down and killing their own protesters. You can study about this in the, the European nations and as they begin to fight in war with each other. How many know during those times uh, the European nations all claimed to be Christians? France, Spain, and England, they all fought with each other. And many of their leaders called each other heretics and so forth. So let's be honest, can God use a literal curse in this land or over people through his prophets? He, yes, he can. He, he has. But can we assume as Christians civil authority and do the things that the prophets did back then under their national, uh, in their nationalism of Judaism? No, I believe we're waiting for a king. Now, if you want to just hear my last thought on this, when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, could this be what he's talking about? Because back then, you could be slapped by a righteous man. How many remember Jesus getting slapped by the high priest? How many know nobody said that was sin? Even Jesus said, I didn't know he was the high priest. Remember that? 
And Paul said the same thing. Paul and Jesus were both slapped for what they, appear, what they thought was disrespect. And both of them did not say it was wrong to be slapped. They both said, I didn't know who that man was. Do you remember that? Come on. And so the idea is here that if you're slapped by a righteous person, you ought to humble yourself and offer your other cheek. This is why we do not believe in pacifism. See, people who use that scripture about slapping the other cheek, they think we're uh, saying to an aggressor who wants to kill you. But I think the context of turning the other cheek is among people, and one is claiming to be the righteous one is saying, man, be quiet, you're wicked, and they're slapping them. Now, if we did that in our culture, that's assault, right? And we shouldn't do that. But in that culture, that was acceptable to offer a slap as a righteous man, to offer a slap to somebody. (laughs) Y'all looking at me crazy. You're like, Pastor, where is this going? Are you going to start slapping people now, grabbing them by the hair? Listen, I haven't done it yet. I'm not going to do it. Amen. Okay? That's not my role here. That's not nothing. But I'm trying to explain to you the Bible and how it's seen. Because I don't see myself enacting civil discipline to you. To me, to put a rod to your back, that's civil discipline. That's not spiritual discipline. And people who have done that, that's, that's cultish, okay? But police should do things like that to put an end to violence, okay? But understand this quickly before we move on from this, is that when Jesus was saying to them, can you prove me guilty of sin, they knew all the stuff that he had did, and that was not sin. So we need to be very careful in our culture when we see uh, pastors and leaders being aggressive for the sheep and the flock. I'm not talking about abuse, but I'm talking about being aggressive for the sake of tearing down arguments, false accusations, and living a righteous life. Let's make sure we don't accuse them of sin unless it's genuine sin. Outbursts of anger, uncontrollable, cursing without the blessing of God. And that sounds weird, but if you curse, you got to have the blessing of God to do, not just out of your, your anger. That's why if you say... Well, God damn it, you, you know, if you stub your toe, what gives you the right to call on God's name to damn your furniture to hell now? You don't. But if you look at sin and say, God will damn it, there's a difference there, amen? But the phrase is still the same, God will damn things, and I didn't cuss. You guys get what I'm saying? God is going to damn things, okay? How many learned something there? Amen. If I am telling the truth... Why don't you believe me? Verse 47, whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Now look at verse 48. The Jews answered him. Now they're like, you think they said like, man, I get it now. I'm going to humble myself. I get it. Look what they say back to him. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? That's their response to Jesus' most clear revelation of who he is. How many right now, if I put a sinner in front of you, somebody who had not read the Bible, you could use John chapter 8 to show people who Jesus is and what Jesus will do for them? How many think it's like crystal clear what John 8 is saying? It should be. I mean, if you're here in this Bible study, you could take a novice to spirituality and go, man, let me show you who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He comes from the Father. He speaks the truth because he knows the truth. And all those who have sinned are the slave to sin. But he hasn't sinned, and he's like a son, and he's going to set the slaves free. Do you want to believe in Jesus? Like, how many know you could use these verses and clearly preach the gospel? What is their response to the clarity of Jesus? calling him names. Have you ever preached the gospel so clear to people that their only response back to you is to call you names? Come on, let's be honest. If you have done this, you are in the same boat as Jesus. Do not think it's strange, brother or sister. 
I have spent my lifetime learning and studying the gospel. I have spent my lifetime listening to sermons and developing the gifts so that I can preach. And I have watched people reduce the conversation down to calling me a bigot. They think now calling me a bigot has now just changed the entire truth of the Bible and all that God says. Have they ever tried that with you? Come on, they've tried it with all the preachers I'm hanging out with. Why haven't they tried it with you? Have you not spoke to the right ones yet? Come on, how many of you have had names called at you to shut you down from preaching the gospel because that's all they had left? Then you're in good company. It doesn't mean on purpose to be a jerk. Was Jesus being a jerk on purpose by calling them uh, children of the devil? No, he was literally telling them, man, if you don't get what I'm saying, you have to have a problem here. It is not me. It is you. That's why oftentimes when I'm settling disputes, I don't agree with the 50-50. Sometimes it's 100% zero. It's all your fault, ma'am. Apologize to your husband. It's all your fault, daughter. Apologize to your parents. Sometimes it's not even 50-75-25. Uh, Sometimes you just got to take the ownership and say, it's me. I'm sorry. Are you all listening? I mean, I've done it as a pastor, moving to Irving Park, making a mistake there. It wasn't 75% me, 25% the elders. It was 100% me, and I've said that from day one. You just got to, at times, just own your mistake. Jesus is as clear as possible to them. It is their fault, and their response is, hey, man, they had just believed in him, did they not? And now this is their response, hey, man. Aren't you now, and as I think about it, I don't know so sure if you're the Christ anymore. Hey, aren't you a Samaritan that is demon-possessed? Think about how wild that is from who Jesus actually is. A Samaritan to them was a mixture of pagan and the Jewish faith. Is Jesus in any way a Samaritan, either in his mindset or his genealogy? No, there is nothing to do with Samaritans, being a Samaritan in, in there. Is Jesus demon-possessed? Now, if they can get Jesus that wrong, why do you think they get you and I wrong? Think about it. Read my Google reviews and see how wrong they can get me. Come on. Read what their, your family says about you on those texts to that other cousin. Right? Why do they get you and I so wrong? Because they don't understand Jesus. Jesus was taken so far out of context that he is not in this context, but in another place going to say, the kind of blasphemy you're doing against me is actually against the Holy Spirit and is unforgivable. That causes a whole other discussion, which I will not get into. But they are so far from the truth now that there will be no hope for them unless they fully repent for all the things they have been building their lives upon up until this point. But how many know once you've believed a lie and told a lie a long enough time, it's hard now to recant that lie? Some of these people are going to be the very ones that are going to be responsible for his crucifixion. And yet, everybody please, go back to verse 31. They once believed in him. Was Judas, was Judas an atheist? Was Judas an atheist, people? Was Judas a, a, a Satanist? Did he worship Zeus? No, Judas thought he was doing God a favor. Jesus' closest friends, or one of them, is the very one who betrayed him. Jesus is now talking to his own people, the people that he loves the most, and this is the response that they're giving him. 
You are a demon-possessed Samaritan. They don't want to hear what he says. They don't want to work through the difficulties of their own presuppositions. They now want to believe a lie, and the more that they are confronted, the more stubborn they get. Just like when I tell my children, you can't do something, it's the more they want to do it. You know, they, they get ants in their pants now. Now they have to do it. Because the sinful nature is taking over because they're giving themselves over to the devil. And yet, at the beginning of this conversation, because, I mean, we're taking a couple days to go through it. This probably only took maybe 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. At the beginning of this conversation, Jesus thought they were disciples. Everyone around thought they were disciples. It reminds me of the time I went out preaching with a missionary group that came to visit us in New Orleans. And while we were out preaching, the missionary heard me preaching to this person. He grabbed me by the collar. Talk about taking his uh, Old Testament authority. Grabbed me by the collar, ripped me over to him, pull, pulled me towards. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And said to me, don't you ever tell people that. I said, dude, don't you ever touch me like that. I said, first of all, don't touch me like that, man. You know, I'm saved, but it hasn't been that long. No, I'm kidding. You know, <laughs> I'm one of those. You don't want to bring me back. <laughs> you, you're giving me a flashback right now. No, but I, I'm telling you the truth. This, and in the name of love, just think about how crazy that is. In the name of love, they're screaming at us, right? Have you ever been out preaching and they're saying, why do you hate everybody? And it's like, no, really, you're the one that hates everybody. It's really you screaming at me. Why don't you leave me alone? I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm trying to talk to this person. You keep screaming at me to leave you alone. How about you leave me alone? You know, but they're nuts. A lot of people are nuts. They're crazy, okay? That's why the mental houses are full. That's why a lot of them are med on medication. They say, I'm good, but I say, that's not what your psychologist says. Let's be honest, okay? But listen, this guy grabbed me by the collar. I know it sounds crazy, but it happened. He grabbed me by the collar, and he said, don't you tell people this. I don't want my team to hear this. And there was nothing extreme about what I said. I was not even street preaching. I was in a conversation with somebody. I didn't even use any of the no-no words. I didn't say a no-no word. I was literally just preaching. But this person was so soft in their approach that they thought when I took them out to Bourbon Street, I was going to be giving out the free hugs and water bottles. They then didn't want to do ministry with us after that, but then thankfully there was a guy over him that told him to be quiet and let me keep leading the team. But that was an extreme example. That's how people can change within a moment. Imagine that. We're on a mission trip. We're standing in front of lost people, and this guy, this pastor, thinks it's appropriate to grab me by the collar, rip me from a conversation, get in my face and tell me I'm not going to do that around his kids. See, the devil's a liar. The people oftentimes who are screaming, and we know this, for diversity, inclusion, and for love are sometimes the most hateful, exclusivist people you'll ever meet. The only difference is about our exclusivism is that we admit it right at the beginning, but then we welcome everyone in. Yes, it's exclusive through Jesus, but guess what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Everybody can come in. It's totally inclusive through the exclusive way of Jesus Christ. Can we please go down now to the conclusion of this? Because it doesn't get better. It only gets worse. They say, hey, man, aren't you a Samaritan? Aren't you demon-possessed? Uh, uh, Lawrence, would you come, please? And then Jesus goes, no, I'm not demon-possessed. He said, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there's one who seeks it, and he's the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. 
At this they exclaimed, now we know you're demon-possessed. Because now they're taking him out of context. What death is he talking about? Spiritual death, right? He's saying they're never going to experience spiritual death. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Notice that's what they say to Jesus. Who do you think that you are? He's already told them who he is over and over and over again. He's the son of God, is he not? Who came to set them free? And is he greater than Abraham? Absolutely. He's much greater than Abraham. Verse 54, Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I do not, I would be a liar like you. Now notice how Jesus is clapping back here. If I say I don't know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now do you know why I always go to Genesis 18 to show to the divinity of Jesus? Now do you know why? Because that's where Jesus said he could show where he had come and appeared as Yahweh. We'll go through this next week because I can see many of you are not excited right now. Are you guys just ready to go to the barbecue right now? What's going on? How many know Genesis 18 is a powerful verse? Abraham met Jesus Christ. Well, well, well we're getting there, but you guys got to get excited about that. Not for me, but for Jesus. Do you understand what Jesus just said to that Jewish man or these people? He just said to them, man, I'm greater than Abraham. That is either now worthy to be stoned or you now worship him. You're not 50 years old, they said, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. He walked among us. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Next week, we'll talk more about who he is and how Abraham interacted with him. But could you imagine that? God himself, in the flesh, living among us, having to put up with all of this, and yet he still loves them. He's still going to go out and do ministry. He's still going to forgive them. He's going to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's my Jesus. And yet now, those who were once believers now want to be stoners and kill him. They went from, we believe you're the Messiah, to we believe you are demon-possessed. What changed? What changed? What changed was, is that they didn't want to get free from their sin. Over the years of being a pastor, this has been some of the most heartbreaking stories of my life. I have watched people come into this church, not that I need it, but they pay great compliments. They say they love the preaching, they love the church. And then when they are confronted with their sin, whether it's a boyfriend and girlfriend sinning, whether it's their pride, their ego, whether it's their, their marriage falling apart or their children being out of order, the moment we as Christians start to help them with the truth, everything we do is now nitpicked, turned against us, and we are now called things that couldn't be farther from the truth. Joe, you turned this into what you've gone through? Absolutely. 
I'm applying this to my life. And guess what? I don't think I'm alone. I think some of you have told your testimony to your cousins and your family and your friends, and through preaching the gospel to them, they look at you in ways right now that are so far from the truth that if I heard a family member talk about you, I wouldn't even recognize you. I remember during the BLM time that people went after the walkers who are now the pastors of Dallas, Metro Praise, went after them so bad that the foster care child that they were taking care of came and removed the child out of the home. Like as if we have so many parents like the walkers who are now raising their beautiful children so well that they can just move on to another family. But, the, but, but here's the part that hurts the most. You want to know who the call came from? A family member. A family member said, I want to report to DCFS what's going on these black kids are in a white supremacist home get those kids out of there these these people are racist lost their foster care kids see that's what people will do to you now there is truth that needs to be exposed and I always stand by that if there's any sin in this house please expose it and you have my word I will stand by you but these petty offenses and insults that come towards God's people is so grieving. There was somebody that had an insult the other day towards the Escavals that hurt me so bad I wanted to get them up on the phone and say, you've been in this church for years and have never accomplished what they have accomplished in weeks. They have Loved, and I'm publicly saying their name, and whoever has spoke against them will know who you are. This is what I wanted to say to you. You accomplished nothing for years, and we were patient with you. And you attacked one of the dearest families who have loved our young people more than I have seen. Listen, amen, we'll clap in a moment. This is not for the clap. More than I have seen any youth pastor ever love the children of this church to the point where my daughter is being discipled by Catherine. And I said to my daughter today in the car, I said, you tell Catherine how proud you are to be mentored by her and how much you love her and how amazing she is. There will be people, and I want you to listen to me, friends. There will be people who will hurt us in the church. There will be people who lie about us. There will be people who say things about us, and we'll have to deal with it. And if it ever comes out about me, we'll deal with it. Well, I'll apologize. And if it ever comes out about even the Escavals or other leaders or lords, we will deal with it. But God have mercy. That while we preach and teach to our youth, to our children, they are attacked. One more just to talk about it. I've watched what has happened to the people here who go out and street preach and the sinners who take advantage of you and touch you and put their hands on you. They do not have the right, and we have Christian lawyers that stand by you because you never have to endure that in America as long as you are here. And so I want to say to every one of you street preachers that if they spit on you, if they touch you, if they do any of that, read Nehemiah 13, defend yourself, call the police and call on us and we will get your back in Jesus' name. Because people of this city, the whiners and the crybabies do not have
have rights to touch you, to touch our equipment, to bully you, to leave a corner in the name of Jesus. Amen? We stand by you. We stand by you. We are not ashamed of our gospel preachers here. You do not threaten them. You do not deserve a threat. You do not touch them. You do not deserve to be touched. They are lawbreakers. And as as long as Paul could say, I'm a Roman citizen, and it worked, he used it to his advantage. And so, brothers and sisters, stand with Jesus today. Let me say this in closing. Stand with Jesus and stand with those who stand with Jesus. You know how I would spell courage today? L-O-Y-A-L-T-Y, loyalty. This generation backstabs, this generation backbites and turns their back on everybody. They turn their back on their movie stars if they say one thing that they don't like. And the world is getting into the church. I'm not saying be loyal to sin. I'm not saying be loyal to anything less than what we just learned today. But when you are in these positions, you stand with Jesus. When others want to stone him, you stand with him. And say, if you're throwing a stone at my Jesus, the first stone that's going to get hit by somebody is me because I stand in front of my Jesus. If you're throwing a stone at my youth pastors and my elders, the first one you're going to hit is going to be me. If you're going to throw a stone at our street preachers, the first one that you're going to hit is going to be me in the name of Jesus. So I want to ask you this week, brothers and sisters, for some of you who have not gone to the youth group as parents to come to the youth group and stand next to the Excavals. For those of you who haven't gone out with with TJ and them on a Sunday to go out and stand next to them. And even I heard Juan was threatened this week by a gangbanger and some to go out with Juan this week and to stand next to them and say, I stand where others are throwing stones. I'm those that the Bible calls sons. I am a satisfied, sanctified son, and I stand with Jesus. Hallelujah. Would you stand up with me, saints? Come on, band and altar workers, would you come? We don't do it to stand by anything less than what we learned. I just want to clarify that again in prayer today as we get ready to go. Don't ever stand by sin. Don't ever stand by compromise. But the things that we talked about, stand by them. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for a church that stands by you, even though others are picking up stones. We stand by you and we honor you, Father. We honor the Son and we honor the blessed Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit, we honor you. Would you honor him today? Just say, I honor you, Father, Son, and Spirit. And now whoever today doesn't know Jesus, would you ask him into your heart to save you and to change you and make you a new creation because of what God is saying and doing in your life? Right now, you will be saved. Come on, because of what God has already been doing. Some of you are drawn to churches like this, or you were drawn here by a, by a friend that God used. Right now, ask Jesus into your heart and say, Lord, I'm going to stop resisting. I'm going to stop fighting. Come into my heart, change my life. And if you've been a Christian and you've been backsliding or compromising, would you stand with Jesus right now and say, Jesus, I want you to set me free from all my sins. I'm not running to the ways of the world. They want me to run next to them and throw stones at you. The transgender community wants me on their side and to throw stones at you. But I'm running to you, Jesus. Lord, the the shacking up community wants me to run to them and throw stones at you, but I'm running to you. Come on, any compromising in uh, in your heart today, get it out in Jesus' name. Stand next to him. 
So many people deconstruct their faith and then they throw stones at Jesus now. My whole thing is, man, if you were once a Christian and now you're an atheist, why waste your time? Just go on and do your, your life. Go eat, drink, and be merry. Why would you now waste your time arguing with Christians? If you really believed it was the equivalent of Santa Claus, you only got 70 years before you go back to dust. That's all you are, right? No, it shows the conviction in their heart. They can't leave it alone. Come on, right now, we pray for every backslider. We pray for every new Christian to live for Jesus right now. We pray for you. I lift you up in the name of Jesus for you to live for God. And now all the sons and daughters of God who are satisfied and sanctified, would you raise up your hands and just say, Lord, would you send me out to bring freedom to others? Would you go and be that voice now? And they may not, they may not get you. They may not understand you. But would you be that voice? In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Can you?